startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome everybody. Grüezi, I can say, to startuprad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the world's first 24-7 internet radio station dedicated to tech companies and startups. Today, I was welcoming you guys with Grüezi and the reason is this is hello in Swiss German and I do have a startup from Switzerland here with me. Hey, Pablo, how you doing? Hey, hi, Joe. How are you? Guten Morgen. I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> Guten Morgen. Exactly. Um, you you are not per se the typical uh, Pablo Garcia Amorena. It's not a typical uh, Swiss name, but we'll get to this very soon. Um, but let us first talk a little bit what what you've been doing, what you've been up to in your life before that uh, guys if you like this interview make sure to go down here and hit the like and subscribe button as well there will be a link to the show notes and there you can find many more information an automated transcript and the links to the company website as well as to pablo's linkedin profile now that we have this out of the way pablo what you've been doing in your life because It looks like from your uh, CV on LinkedIn, it really looks like you're originally from Catalonia, um, the area in Spain close to Barcelona. Yeah, Is that yeah. I, so I'm from Barcelona. So, so, so I studied there. I studied uh, mathematics and engineering. So my life basically is it's about uh, studying and and uh, working in the field of mathematics. I really like uh, solving problems and you know getting into Hard engineering problems, with always having a balance, no, between the, the theory and the, the practice. So, so in Barcelona there was a center that was dedi dedicated for that for students who could study two degrees at the same time. So we would study mathematics in the morning, and then we go to the faculty of engineering in the afternoon. It was very good. And in in this in this center, it was in the inside the Polytechnic University of Barcelona. There was this these programs to study abroad. It was part of Erasmus. And then I, I, I went to Switzerland, to the, to the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. It is uh, Los, in Lausanne. So in Switzerland, there are two institutes of technology, one in Lausanne, one in Zurich. So I went to the one in Lausanne because uh, there was this, this flagship program in, I don't know if you know about this EU flagship uh, program of research for brain research. Um, so it was uh, this, this Swiss Technology Institute was given a very big grant to, to do research about biomedical engineering in general, but more specific in modeling the brain and the neurons. And this is still ongoing. So it was very interesting into, into how to solve problems in the biomedical field you know, from the perspective of mathematics. So I went there, and then I studied these masters in, in computational science and engineering, what is called. It's, uh, again, uh, computational engineering problems with perspective, from perspective of mathematicians to have this, this bridging between the two fields. And then I was, I was um, you know, I ended up in this laboratory 
where we were doing processing of biomedical tissue of, of CT scans, you know, computer tomography scans, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, uh, electron microscopy. So basically about processing images, images of, of the brain, images of, of the heart, of the, the body of a person, but also images of, of very small cells in a laboratory. So, um, so then we were focusing on these problems of image processing. And then uh, in this laboratory, I met my two co-founders of this, this small startup that is called Miracoy. And then we got into this, this project. We, we just wondered, hey, how could we do a, you know, a real application, a real-world application? No? How we could uh, make a, a product out of this research? And, and then we, we started this project of doing a, a startup. And, and that's where I'm here. I see. That is very interesting. What I found intriguing is when you talked about studying mathematics and engineering at the same time, you were really smiling. You were enjoying this time, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really, really amazing. Yeah. For most people, it is tough to study only engineering or mathematics, but you enjoy <laughs> doing both. Okay. Okay. I get this. There are some people out there who like that. No, yeah, I mean, it's really, people should, should lose the, the fear to study mathematics specifically. I mean, it's really, really enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, and we should add, because like um, approximately somewhere between 50% and two-thirds of the people listening to us are outside, are living outside the European Union, which by now also includes the UK. And um, we should add here that the Erasmus program is like a European Union funded exchange program where you can study abroad uh, for some time uh, within the European countries and sometimes like um, exchange to other countries where everybody should know that Switzerland is neutral and not a part of the European Union, even though they are surrounded by on all sides. Yeah, by the I, I should add that when I, um, when I went to Switzerland, and it was in 2014 and, and Switzerland was still in the Erasmus program. And then there was this vote to, to get out of the mobility or Schengen area. Um, then it got kicked out of the Erasmus, but then I think they made their own program to to be compatible with Erasmus. So it's still there's still the opportunity for people who want to to do something. Uh, so there. Okay, so there's an own Swiss program. Okay, I see. And we should add that um, all the. Um, medical uh, machines you talked about like x-rays like a magnetic resonance tomography or whatever is out there it's like image giving um instruments so you lay in you get some x-rays you get some mrt and basically that helps the your physician your doctor uh, to actually determine what is going on in your body without the need to actually cut it open and look at it and in some cases as you said for example in the brain it's not very easy to cut the skull open and you'll only do it if it's really 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 required um and that is the area we are talking about. So you guys are actually a med tech startup, mm. right? Yeah, exactly. So we, we really work with hospitals, with, with surgeons, with clinicians. And we see, we, we uh, normally we get uh, material 
on this hospital, confidential material of images of patients, and we have to cement, you know, specific tissue to fit. We are we are cementing now. We are focusing on bone because it's easier than than soft tissue of cardiovascular, and and we focus uh, right now. We are focusing, for example, on reconstructing fractures or uh, reconstructing parts of the bone that are very very hard to cement. Here, for example, I have a an example of a you know here we have this problem. I don't know if you see well. So we had this patient. Yeah, so uh, for for all the people in in the audio podcast, ah, uh, he's holding sorry. up yeah. a, a part of the three D printed skull, maybe starting uh, uh, above the mouth and going chill like the middle of your forehead. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the problem was that the patient had a, a fracture in in the orbital floor, and uh, it was. Uh, it, so so it's it's below the eye for everybody who's not in medical exactly. field. <laughs> yeah, sorry if I go to to. Yeah, the, don't worry. I'll explain it. Yeah. Totally fine. So, so in a traffic accident, the the patient has a a big trauma, and the below the eye has a fracture of the bone, so it's broken. And normally, you know, this is a, a very hard to cement. You know, it's it's hard to find that particular hole. Because if you open your CT scan, you will see a mix of, of tissues, you know, a mix of things, uh, you know, a mix of, of blood or, or this, the cartilage, you know, this close to the nose. And, and so what we want, what the, the clinician wants, is to have a model of the patient and see, okay, I, I see the hole inside the patient is exactly there. Because then... Before the operation, because the, the clinician has to put a metallic plate out there to to fix that hole. So the clinician would like to, to see uh, this hole beforehand, you know, before the operation. Because when the clinician is in the operation, then there's no time to, you know, to, to hang there and see, hey, uh, what, how is the hole? We should choose this plate or choose that one. You know, there's no time to lose. In the operation room so it's better if, if the doctor already knows what's happening so this is part of the idea of the whole the whole project is about giving some more information to the doctor be it 3d be it a 3d print or be it whatever that is useful to to give information yes uh first and foremost very sad accident very poor patient there and basically before you guys were around, uh, the doctor had no other choice than opening up the skin and actually physically had a look. And as everybody, sorry, if you're just eating, can imagine there's like blood and other bodily fluids flowing in the way. And you can never really good see during the surgery what is going on there. Uh, one of the many problems surgeons are facing. So basically, that is the point when you come in because you you basically get the imagery of the patient you separated uh, the different like layers the different types of um, structures the soft tissue as everybody like call the skin or the tissue underneath it and stuff like this from the bone and then you can actually 3d print a model of the damaged area of the skull and the surgeon can really take it, have a look at it, memorize it, and even can make uh, with some non 
I would assume he has some non-sterile parts that he can play around with and can actually test in the 3D model which one would fit best and then he orders a new sterile one and actually has this at hand at the surgery which gives like a huge leap forward for the surgeon because he has not to make everything up on the fly while he's actually um, in the surgery. So uh, just imagine guys, you're in the surgery and then you find out, oh, we don't have the right, let's say, uh, parts here. So uh, what we're gonna do now, we have to make something up and that's the stuff you are really avoiding mm -hmm. there, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's important to note that that uh, we focus on models for preoperative planning. That means that it's to give information to the doctor. So these models will not end up in the patient right now, okay? So that's a very different kind of thing. That's about uh, implants, about... Um, we have a pilot project of what we call surgical guides that are models that let the doctor put uh, elements into a patient, like, like screws. So we have a research project for that, but it's not part of the, of the product itself. So right now it, it gives... Um, Region anatomical regions that we call so so like skulls like part of the spine. Here I have another example of a, a spine. So I show a part of the column of a patient that is three vertebra, and in this case the doctor. For everybody who's not in in the medical field, vertebra are the little pieces of bone your spine is is made up mm. of. Yes. So, so in this case, uh, the the patient had this this. Um, say it's called scoliosis, it's a, a bit of a, a deviation of the column that is uh, congenital, okay? So is this... Everybody who's watching now at my picture can see this. My left shoulder is a little bit lower than my right shoulder. That's also a scoliosis. That's what you're talking it's about, It's about, right? uh, yeah, these people who are really, really bent uh, forward. They, yeah, they have a hunchback, exactly. like uh, like stuff like this. Uh, exactly, yeah. Really bad for me. It's like a little bit lower left shoulder, but for most, for some people, it's it's really bad, and that's the cases yeah, you're talking yeah. about, right? So this is treated with an operation that is called uh, fu uh, lumbar fusion. So the doctor put will put screws in several of the vertebra and put a plate that is straight and will put the colon straight. Okay. So we'll, he will do it in two or three levels. So the doctor has to put screws. He has a driller that has to put screws inside the operation. So first, the doctor, if he has a model of the column, it's already much better because the doctor already knows, okay, so I, I will find this when I open the patient you know, in the operation room. And then second hand, and this is what we are doing for, for research purpose, is to have what we call surgical guides. That are these tubes that I made, that you see here. These are two tubes that you print alongside the column, and you put them on top of the column, and they fit properly. So you see here, my, my column has two tubes that are fitting the, the vertebra. So the doctor, during the operation, well, this, this will be sterilized, of course. This will, will pass the proper, proper requirements of safety. So the doctor will put the driller with a screw in every tube. So the doctor will already know where to put the screw. Otherwise, the doctor if doesn't have this. He just has to, you know, have to try. Okay, it should be here. So I follow my intuition. Yeah, yeah I, 
I imagine the doctor really has to first uh, first open up the patient and then has a look and then really, really, really think hard where and when and how deep they actually should put it because you don't want to uh, damage the nerve tissue inside the spine. Exactly, right? because you have the, the spinal, the, the medulla, you know, that, that goes through your column and it's, it's a very important part of your neurological system. So it's, it's a concern. I mean, these operations are made by very experts. You cannot just do it, um, you know, without prior intuition or experience. So this is very good. This, but but as as I told you, now we focus on the anatomical uh, region of interest, and this is the future. This is where we come after that. Yes, I I can totally see that. At at the beginning, I was wondering, um, but. Let me first, uh, before I ask my questions, let me first clarify a little bit. You guys, as the people who see it right now on YouTube, uh, will have seen you guys are actually doing like the imagery. The, the 3D printing everybody could do, like except for the like two um, channels for the spine surgery, uh, everything 3D printed like every 3D printer could do. That's not your USP. That's not what you're working about. You guys are actually good in like getting the real data out of the medical imagery, the medical data provided by the hospital, by the physician, by the surgeon, whatever, uh, to actually get a real good 3D model. That's, that's your first point. And the second point is then you can actually help with uh, like additional instruments like 3 3d printed material like the columns we've seen the channels for the drill and stuff like this you can then actively help the surgeon that's what we are talking about here right yes so 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 what we do is exactly the software we do the software that takes us input ct scan or tomography or or medical uh, imaging and gives us output a 3d model in, in digital format, so an STL file, uh, stereolithography is called, um, or any kind of CAD model that can be can be output to towards the the 3D printer. So we are compatible with any 3D printer in the market. But um, but it's important what you said that that um, we focus in on how to convert this this image image into a 3D model digitally. So um, that means that we are not married to a particular, uh, you know, 3D printer technique or or facility. And what's more, even uh, we have met some people who don't even want 3D printers; that they want virtual reality, for example, or that they just want a visualizer. So they want to see in the in the computer. They want to see the 3D model and rotate around it and make zoom things like that. that was that was actually the next point I was trying to make until I saw like the 3D printed channels uh, at, you can attach during surgery to the spine uh, to get the right drill and the right depth. I was wondering why you not do it like completely virtually. I do believe you're working on this. Plus, I could imagine like uh, a doctor having like some type of uh, 
a very advanced version of Google Glasses during the surgery and actually you could guide him. Is, is that the way you're going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and this is going, you know, it's going mainstream. I mean, I, I see there's, there's some experiments of surgeons having augmented reality and virtual reality on scene where, where um, they, they have the operation and they have, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've not seen in person, eh? I've read about it. Uh, so they have the, the model, the 3D model, that is some, somehow an hologram, you know? something that is put on top of the patient. And this is very, very useful, for example, when you are operating uh, arteria or veins, that you have to, to uh, treat a particular arteria. And uh, it's hard because in the operating room, everything is, is, is red and dark. No? So, so if you superpose an anatomical model with augmented reality, uh, you can see, for example, one vein in one color and another vein in another color or part of the bone in one color and the other like this. And so the, the doctor can, can much better see what's, what's a, a tissue that has to cut or the, the element that has to modify. So this is where it's going in the future. So to mix everything, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, maybe a 3D print in order to have much faster surgeries and much, you know, much better outcomes. Is less risk to the patient in the end. And I can now totally see the use for a 3D printer or even more 3D printers, more than one in hospitals, because if they can actually prepare a helpful equipment like you've been showing it here in the video, that's totally a very good case for 3D printing in medicine. And maybe at one point in the future, they will actually be able to print tissue and bone there as well. That would be just amazing. Um, uh, one more question. I've also found you guys on Crunchbase. They say you had one funding round. No. Uh, with three investors, yes. And actually, how you guys are financed right now? Are you looking for external investors? Yes. So, so right now, uh, we, we didn't have investment. So we were we we were raising money in the the startup scene in Switzerland and in Lausanne through grants grants for for bridging research towards uh, private sector. And right now, we we. Uh, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, we had to make some restructuring of activities, focus on, on the core software and, and core partnerships. So now we are bootstrapping still through this process. We are not looking for external investment right now because uh, we are looking for outcomes of these research projects and collaborations. But I, I think that in, in one year, more or less, we will have very... Uh, very concrete you know, roadmaps for the future, and then we look for investment. So in, sh in short terms, we, we are right now bootstrapping, and we will go for investment in short. Hmm. And our interview today is due to the arrangement of HV Labs. Um, you can learn a little bit more in an interview in the interview part with HV Labs that we just attached to this interview. But can you tell us a little bit about HV Labs and your experience there? Uh, by the way, HV means Health Venture. Yeah, Health Venture Labs is an accelerator program that was 
is is uh, funded and organized by General Electric Healthcare in in Hungary because they have the very uh, big quarter in Hungary and we participate in that accelerator last last fall and it was really really good because we met you know several companies in the health sector that we are all based in Europe and and it was very good to to network and to find people you know who face similar problems to the ones we face problems like uh, like um, biggest problems were this related to regulation certification of software in medic as a medical device and we we had a lot of advice in that in that field and very um and related to imaging for example i met several people who had also dealt with with CT scans and how how the they are handled, you know, they, they all follow a standard that is called ICOM, and it's very very complex standard, no? So you have to really get into that world in order to understand. So we thanks to HVLA, we 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 managed to get development going in that direction. So I really thank thank Kat who who introduced me to 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 you actually. <laughs> Uh, uh, we may add that Kat is Ekaterina and uh, she is the person in charge of PR in this program. And actually, she will not appear in any of the videos, but thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so uh, something interesting that uh, you mentioned, the thing about the material. So so right now, the, the 3D prints that I show are in, in resin that are... Like some kind of plastic, no. Uh, but but you know the 3D printing technology is is really advancing at a crazy pace. So so now you can print with any kind of material, with metal, you know, with uh, food food material, no. Uh, but now there's the bioprinting materials coming on. So ma printers, I will print. Um, I don't know if exactly bone tissue or or soft tissue, but something that really resembles that tissue no? and, and something that at some point will be clear for, for regulation and will be allowed to, to be put as implant or as extension of tissue into the patient. So that's also where we are really uh, going forward to, you know, we are looking at that for the future. I mean, this is at some point. And um, basic. Yeah. And my understanding is that you can then use your software when you are at the stage where you can 3D print the replacement for, uh, let's say, a little piece of bone or soft tissue. And your software actually would give the dimensions for this as well as help the surgeon uh, prepare the, the implantation of, of the artificial bone, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, we will not. Um, I mean, it's like uh, right now we uh, we are already ready to to print uh, whatever. Um, for example, uh, in an operation of mandible reconstruction, you have to use some bone for the from the fibula of the patient. So you can think of a situation where you will not need to to make this reconstruction with bone of the patient. That you will be able to print. Uh, part of the mandibula in, in bone tissue or something that is compatible with the patient. So we can think about that. Uh, but in terms of our activity, 
right now uh, it's like we don't depend on that right now no, that's uh, some work for the 3d printing industry to 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 develop you you're just there to tell them what to do right yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i mean we have to we have to give you know all the responsibility to to every actor involved uh -huh. yeah i like your mm -hmm. smile doing that Thank you very much. Uh, it was uh, muchas gracias. Uh, it was a pleasure having you as a guest. Uh, and best of luck uh, for your future endeavors, as well as for the patients and the surgeons there. Well, thank you, Joe. It was really, really nice having a chat with you. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. And please, and also just one last thing. So try you can try our software for free in our website miracoy.com, and you can just contact you know all, to all the audience to just try the software and contact us to get to know more about it. Uh, links for the download will be down here in the show notes, of course. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Bye bye. Bye bye. See you. Hey guys, we just talked to Miracoy and we talked about the HV lab, also known as the Health Venture Lab. And now I have Daniel here who's running this Venture Lab. Hey Daniel, how you doing? Hi, great to be here. Uh, thank you very much for, for having me uh, in, your, in your podcast and your show. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we waited here for 20 minutes because we got all kinds of technical problems. But now you're here. Very glad about this. Tell us just a little bit about HV or Health Venture Lab. And uh, what are you looking for in your next application round? Plus, when uh, people actually can apply. So Health Venture Lab really came together under the wings of G Healthcare and the European Union uh, body called EIT Health, which is European Innovation and Technology. Um, and basically, we help healthcare companies who have uh, already developed the minimum viable product and are currently building out their early customer base. And we are basically connecting these startups with experts uh, in the field of healthcare and help, helping them, you know, build this customer base. Um, so we have a program running um, where the recruitment is actually ongoing right now, uh, which is finishing in the middle of March. And um, we look for startups all over Europe. Actually, one of the biggest advantages is that you have a European-wide base uh, of startups uh, that actually can help you. So they are in a similar shoe than you are, also trying to tackle a hard problem like healthcare. And so uh, you can. I, I would advise to go on our website to to check it out. Uh, but that's that's basically it. March, March, mid March. Of course, everybody who'd like to learn more, you can go down here in the show notes. There we'll link Daniel's personal profile as well as the HV Lab. Tell us like a little bit about what what the people kind of can expect now with Corona, will it be an all remote or in-person accelerator program where you guys headquartered and what else do you do then send them uh, to uh, uh, to meetings with the CEOs where they drink coffee? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so the first question was, uh, how does it look like in Corona? Um, so 
health venture that was based on, a, on, on, on physical programs. But because of Corona, we, you know, as, as a lot of other organizations, we had to reinvent how we do our programs. And fortunately, uh, and so it's kind of an interesting push, we experienced that our digital programs were far um, better in some sense than our physical ones because uh, because it actually saved a lot of the time for startups uh, which they spent on traveling. Uh, so they can, we could actually come, you know, provide value in the right, right time and in a very efficient manner. So this program is also going to be run uh, entirely remotely. Um, the Health Venture Lab team is uh, connected to G Healthcare here in Budapest in Hungary, but uh, just like uh, G Healthcare is a multinational organization, uh, we have connections all over Europe and actually also uh, in, to Boston, um, and uh, we are also collaborating with universities like uh, the Medical University of Łódź in Poland, uh, ISC Business School uh, in Barcelona, uh, but also local universities here in Hungary, called uh, University of Debrecen, for example. Um, and so it's kind of a network of partnerships. Uh, so although we are based in Budapest, it's really uh, Europe-wide um, wide organization and program. We actually have a lot of, uh, as you're, I know that uh, you were based, you are based in Germany and that a lot of your audience is in Germany. And uh, so we had a number uh, of, of uh, German startups during our program and in our alumni. So um, we also welcome, um, welcome start healthcare startups from, from Central European region and, and Germany specifically. Um, we have very good experience with the startups from there. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, we are also like a popular in Croatia, in Italy, in the United States, in Canada, and many, many other countries. But basically, uh, our focus is Europe and North America and the rest of the world. They always make up one third. So where would you draw kind of the boundaries for startups that can apply? Do you have any type of limitation? We are really focusing on the European uh, market. So we are like, we are trying to, uh, although we have, as I said, we have contacts to North America, for example. Um, this is more of a direction where we help European startups take a foot in the Boston ecosystem um, and also develop together. Uh, for example, we have a program that Health Venture Lab takes part in called Catalyst Europe, which really aims, it's an, it's a program developed at MIT and we, um, Together with a lot of partners in Europe, uh, we further developed to adopt it to the European market. And basically that's for researchers to go through the entrepreneur path and understand how to research into um, something impactful rather than into simply publications. So that's, for example, that's just an example of how actually we, we leverage uh, our North American partners, but the startups themselves, they all come from Europe. So that's the only limitation. Um, the other... The other limitations are more uh, qualitative, so uh, where they are in the stage. So uh, we are looking for companies who already have a product. Um, it doesn't have to be super fancy, but something that they can already sell. Um, it, they have to be incorporated and uh, and they have to be dedicated on, on, on actually learning uh, business methodology about the healthcare market and networking. So these are kind of the criteria that we look for when, when startups apply. Uh I would have one more question before we wrap this up. Is there like a really specific type you're looking for? You always talk about research. Is it more like research heavy, like 
biotech companies you're looking out there or everything related to uh, healthcare because you could also have an app where you can store your x-ray pictures which would also qualify as healthcare is, is there a certain type of startups a certain orientation you're looking for we have a soft focus with our program called reactor uh, which we are which we've talked before and uh, we look for uh, medical imaging companies but it's a soft focus so around 60% of the startups who uh, who apply to us or who we are going to fill up the course is going to be related to medical imaging but we are we are more driven by finding great teams and great technologies. So we had a lot of hardware companies, for example, that's related. Uh, it can relate to uh, medical imaging, but it can relate to a, a lot of different fields. What I personally prefer, but it's not a really a criteria, is to have um, deep uh, deep tech companies. So actually companies that are not just uh, a marketing product, uh, they are more based on technological or research innovation. Um, however, as I said, so this is a preference, but but we have startups where we have startups where we thought that the team is so interesting, um, so ambitious, and there was not necessarily a great uh, leap in technological innovation, but in, in terms of product innovation. So we also accepted those. So we have a soft focus and a preference for medical imaging companies, um, which are which are hopefully deep tech. Um, but uh, I encourage everybody uh, who has an interesting healthcare product. Um, we don't we don't work with pharmaceuticals, but uh, for really life sciences healthcare companies. Um, if if you feel like if this fits you and you you, you can leverage. Uh, you know, industry giants like G Healthcare, the expertise and the universities around that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the audience uh, who hears this will understand if they fit this criteria or not. Just to be clear, you would also take in an app which allows to arrange dates uh, for people to go to cat owners and ca pet their cats for medical purposes. That's also fine. That's also something you would consider. Uh, we would consider, although um, I would say they have a tough competition. So I, I can give you an example. We had a, we had an app called uh, Doki App, which was really about booking uh, booking uh, medical professionals. But this is not necessarily the the generalized. Um, the generalized would be, for example, we have another company um, called Baby Index. They are looking for um, crystallizing. Uh, so they look for crystallization in the saliva of. Uh, women so that they can predict the ovulation period. Um, so this is also an app with uh, actually um, a, a microscope attached to your phone, uh, but actually the research behind it and how they do it uh, requires a bit more uh, depth, depth of research and development. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily, um, uh, we are not, um, how would I say, arrogant about, oh, this is only an app um, it can be an app uh, if it addresses the right problems uh, with the right tooling and with the right team. Great. Thank you very much. And everybody who would like to learn more, go down here in the show notes. There are links to Daniel and the HV Lab. Thank you very much. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.